This week with us on Internet Killed the Video Store is Jamie Coletta, founder of No Earbuds PR. Got over a decade of experience working to build exposure for DIY musicians. A little bit of a rundown of her roster currently. Barty Strange, Chris Farron, Dogleg, Downhall, Foxing, Glass Beach, Jeff Rosenstock, Jupiter Styles, Kississippi, Origami Angel, Phony, Pool Kids, Prince Daddy and the Hyena, Rap Boys, and the Wonder Years. Damn. Well, I was going to say, was that supposed to be brief, Ryan? Yeah, that, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Not even brief, but yes, that's it. Got quite the roster going. You've been doing this for a while. Was there any one band or experience you had growing up that made you feel like not only did you want to be a fan of music, but a participant and kind of spreading these bands out to other people? Um, I don't know that there was one band in particular, but I was just like very into like early 2000s Warped Tour type stuff, like Taking Back Sunday, Brand yeah. New, Motion City, like that whole world and like Yellow Card and Fall Out Boy, like all that stuff was like, just, I didn't really know what I wanted to do or that I could do anything, but I was just like, well, that's it. And I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just going to focus on how can I make that a job and just being a fan. Like that's all I wanted to do. So it was just kind of like growing up in that scene and like the heyday of all that emo stuff going on and pop punk kind of having its moment that made me want to just do that forever and just like be around that cult. Like not so much the culture of it, but just the music and the community of it. Do you ever have any kind of personal struggle with going after music that you prefer as opposed to finding stuff that has more of a mass appeal? Like do you ever struggle putting no earbuds above your own personal taste um I feel like I what I do run into is like I have had times where like I personally love a record so much and I want to work on it but I don't think it's going to be the kind of thing that will connect with music writers and journalists so yeah. it, it or it's like a great record but there's nothing else to talk about really and it's just like I struggle with that where like I want to help everybody that I love and sometimes that means like helping navigate through all that murkiness of media and sometimes it not being really meant for that so that's like that's probably the hardest thing is like loving a record but knowing there's no story to it and there's no way that the media is going to touch it and like wanting to help but knowing that there's nothing I can really do about that so it's like and I've caught I still catch myself picking up projects that I know damn well are not going to do very well press wise, but it's just like that passion is there and I have a hard time turning that down. So. Do you find yourself valuing records more so than like fan appeal or live performances? Yeah, well, I, I've never like looked at it like that, but I guess I do. I have to love it. I have to love the music of it whatever it is, if it's you're putting on EP, a record, whatever. My job is to get other people into that record. So I have to be into it. I'm only one person. This is my bedroom. Like I'm only doing this by myself. So it's like, I don't have a big company name to kind of stand behind. I just have my excitement for this. So if it's not genuine, then the results will kind of speak for that. So for me, it's just like, I tell everybody, even when it's like a band, I know it's like, I still need to hear the record. Like I still need to hear what it is I'm working on musically, because if, if it's not something that I want to put on and listen to myself, how am I going to convince anybody else to do that? You know? So it's like the most important thing. And like before vibe, before like compatibility or fan appeal or any of the other stuff kind of factors into my choice, it has to get through that first test of like, Am I singing along to it on like the third or fourth listen? Do I want to play it three or four times? You know, like, am I going back to it on my own or is it feeling sort of like 
a little bit of a push and pull, whether it's the record label or the manager or whoever it is that's trying to get me to work on it. Um, sometimes that can kind of cloud my judgment a little bit, you know, of like, oh, somebody I'm really close with that I really admire wants me to work on their new project, but I don't love it, but I really like the person, you know, and like that can kind of get in the way a little bit, but I try really, really hard 99.9% of the time to say yes only to stuff I love. Music comes first. Not to throw shade at anybody, but has there ever been an <laughs> instance where you really enjoy a musician, you love their live act, but you just can't get them to translate to a record where you get a frustrated of like, man, I wish I could show people who can't get to their live shows what this band is like because it's not coming through on their stuff yet. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I've had that exact scenario, but I will say that like, there are definitely times where like the band is incredible live and that like I was sold off of a live performance and the record is just as good, but maybe the promo plan around it or the marketing or the videos, something's missing in terms of that, that spark. Right. Right. Um, I run into that often where it's like in my head, I can visualize when I fall in love with something, I can sort of just like see the big picture, but you've got to remember there's artists to deal with teams. They've got labels, whoever else, all these people have a say. And they don't always want to go with my ideas, which is crazy, but it's just like, that's not always the, the way that it goes. So in my head, it's like, I can see it all clearly, but they're still the ones in the driver's seat. So sometimes I get a little bit bummed when it's like, comes time to start rolling out an album and I start seeing all the assets and all the materials. And it's just kind of like, uh, okay, <laughs> you know, like, right. it's like every, for something to really take off, it's really got to have, like, everybody's got to be firing on all cylinders and the content and the like the team itself like everybody's just got to be hitting it at at 100 or nothing you know in order for it to really work you can make things happen with less than that but that's usually my bigger disappointment is like oh my god you're so good live or oh my god you're so good on the record but everything else kind of falls flat you know or like the touring or whatever other plans that they have just don't really come together in the way that you want and it's not ideal but it's not the end of the world either Yeah, I guess creatively, do you find it more challenging when a band has exactly how they want something to sound and it's not quite right or when they have no idea whatsoever and you got to start from scratch? Probably the first thing. Okay. Yeah, because when somebody doesn't really understand or know what they want to do and they're coming to me with open arms sort of of like, what would you do? You know, and they're just like looking to me for that kind of input. That's so much fun for me, like helping an artist figure out what their vision is, who they are, how, what story they want to tell, what, what their message is as an artist, helping them figure that out and then actually seeing it through and help navigating those like first like zero to 25, you know, the first steps of really getting out there that's fun. Like that's hard work, but it's super fun. Um, whereas if somebody knows exactly what they want and who they want to be perceived as and all of these things, sometimes that helps, but other times it's like they're close-minded to what else could be happening for them. So I've definitely had bands who think they belong in one genre or another and their fans are here or there and they don't want to do anything that doesn't fit that mold. But then you're sitting there like you're turning down people who could really be fans, you know, by not serving them, not promoting yourself to them in a different way or going on tour with those kinds of bands. So I feel like that is something that that's just frustrating, frankly, is at the end of the day, your goal as an artist should just be to get as many people as possible to listen to your your music and come see you and be a, a fan. So 
why when when bands and artists get really picky about that stuff it's like you can't choose <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> land where you land kind of so that's definitely more challenging to work on all right so let's talk a little bit about your story how did you get started in music promotion you talked a little bit about the early 2000s music scene how yeah. did you take those first career steps with college internships stuff like that I went to a college that had a music business program okay. um and I it wasn't anything like Honestly, the ones that are out today are way cooler, um, but it, you know, it, it did its job in terms of getting internships and starting to do stuff like that. So I landed, my first internship was actually just in the publicity department of a major record label. And I, before that, I didn't really know what publicity was. And I sort of, it sort of was like the thing I had already been doing as far as telling people about things I loved and the music I loved and getting them excited. So sort of just landed in it and then followed it from there. And when I got out of college, I moved to California and I worked at RCA for a while in the publicity department. And after that, I worked for an indie label as well for five or six years before that label laid everybody off and got to where I am now, which was just sort of like, okay, I have no job, but I have all this experience and all this excitement. And at the same time, bands were hitting me up, trying to hire me. And I thought, fuck it, you know, like I'm going to bet on me and I'm just going to try to start something for myself and see what happens. And yeah, now I'm three years in and um, yeah, it's going pretty good. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah it, it was, that's a nutshell version for sure. But it was right. like 10 years of just truly a lot of bullshit, but um, <laughs> was able to just pick up stuff along the way that I applied to my work and I just always kept the same things in at heart, you know, working for other people, you can't choose who you work with, but you know, I tried to find something to love about every artist I've ever worked on in those days. And even if I didn't love the music or it wasn't exactly my type of stuff, I would just be like, oh, I'd find something. That one song, I really like that bridge or I'd find something to hook onto and just kind of did that over the years and applied everything I learned to all my work and it's doing okay now. So yeah, absolutely. So employed by myself. So. Well, I remember even, I mean, it had to be strange. It was such kind of a public ordeal when you were let go. And I think it's like a 10 minute meeting, you said, basically start of the new yeah. year, how far into the job hunting process before you realized you didn't want to work for anyone else. You wanted to do this on your own. Every conversation that came up, I like ran its course. I talked to people over and over again, trying to feel out the job until it got to the point where I was like, oh. And it, that whole thing probably took like six months. So if I, I was laid off in like January, then it was probably like sometime in the summer that I was like, okay, none of those jobs worked out. Now what? Right. <laughs> and at the, at the same time, I was getting freelance work. So it started more as just like, well, fuck it. I'll just come up with a brand for it so that it's not just my name, you know, on everything. If that becomes something later, cool. If not also cool. And we're coming up on three years and it's like, it's, I've learned so much just about what it is, you know, and what, what it can be. But when I started it, it was full on just like, I just did not every conversation I had, I was like, these are very nice people offering very good jobs. But for some reason, I just felt it in my core that like, none of that was my path. And it's super scary to make that call. But I just did yeah. <laughs> just had to do it. it just like, it was either that or go work for another guy honestly I didn't speak to any women leaders who would have hired me I don't know like I don't I I just wanted to try something else and try like betting on me and just doing my own thing and seeing if it worked and if it didn't I would call all those motherfuckers back up and, <laughs> and get my job back you know and then call anybody I could but in that moment it was just like no do or die like try it fuck it you know if it doesn't work 
you can just find a job, you know, like, like everybody else in the world, but, but it works. So, or it is working. I don't want to jinx myself here. Right. No, (laughs) I mean, yeah, you had a really good year last year with 2020 starting off with AJJ had a great new record, Rap Boys, awesome Mm -hmm. new record, probably two of the biggest debuts of the year with Dogleg and Barty Strange, had a baby due in March, and then the (laughs) pandemic hit. So you've got all the existing pressures of starting your own business, and then add on top of that unprecedented circumstances that no one's ever seen before. You've got a baby to take care of. You're responsible for all these albums and bands that have come to you, trusting you on your own. That is an insane amount of pressure. Yep. So take us through... kind of your thought process then when you've got all this stuff on the cusp and it looks like the world's going to stop. You know, what's funny is like for a second, I was super scared and I thought like, oh God, like if this is as scary as they're making it sound out there, then I don't know, this could be five, six years of my life, you know, that I have to figure this out. But after like a month or two of it, honestly, I just sort of started to see that like what I provided for bands was much more in demand than I would have thought. They couldn't go on the road. And so now, especially the ones like you mentioned that had new records out in that year, like they couldn't go promote it in the way that they were used to promoting it. So I became someone who a lot of people actually came to and, you know, I helped navigate not just the ones you know about, but just I talked to any band that needed help that year Mm -hmm. and just really like tried to help them figure out what it is they could be doing online to make as much of an impact as they would have on a 30 day tour around the country or flying to Europe for a month. Those are huge things that you miss out on, but people I think figured out like, okay, well now we need to know how to build our, our community online more than ever. And so that was actually kind of cool. And I was able to like help navigate all this craziness. And in the moment, no, you're just going along with it. You know, like you're just every day waking up being like, what's going on? What's the latest? How can I help in the moment? You don't feel like you're really doing much, but in the end, at the end of the year, you look back and you're just like, whoa, did we just roll out like all these albums in the middle of not being able to tour and the news cycle being so crazy and the election and all that crazy. It was just a crazy time, but what can you do? You know, you kind of just have to keep going. And I think it, it, you saw probably a lot of people either like move on and not do music stuff anymore or artists who were like, all right, well, when it comes back, I'll come back. For me, I was just like, no, I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> like, we're just going to keep pushing through this. And to my artists, it was the same thing. It was, you know, with Bartiz, it was crazy because we had all these plans to film music videos and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden he had to make those videos in his room, you know, and he had to, we had the director on zoom just like this and they shipped him all the lights and all the camera stuff. And he filmed it all himself, you know, with their <laughs> direction over the computer. And it's like, you just have to figure it out. And it's, those are the times when, you know, the the people who are not cut out for this kind of stuff they you can find out like they kind of fall to the wayside you know whether it's people behind the scenes or artists but the people who are cut out for this kind of stuff and are really like meant to be somebody you hear about they found a way you know we all found a way but it was certainly a crazy year that's for sure that's wild so Barty's was basically running the shoe with a oh yeah that boomer video is all him yeah those videos are all him yeah (laughs) that's like the craziest thing but it was like what could we we filmed them I want to say in like May we had to roll this album out we weren't going to stop it it sucked that he wasn't going to be able to tour but we also felt like nobody knows who you are yet anyway so it's like kind of a good spot to be in and we just ended up going out there and he just like everybody wanted to talk to him and that record I mean it's the music I, I that, that is like 99% the music 1% me like that is so the music doing all the work but 
It's just, we found our window there of, oh shit, like we can just run this up online and make sure everybody's talking about this record. And that will hopefully carry us into when we know when he's going to be able to tour and literally just kept building and building and building throughout all of 2020, almost all of this year too, all the way up until he was able to get back on the road in, in September. We just kind of figured it out and we were just constantly looking for different opportunities, different ideas that we could do to kind of keep growing his name online while we waited to see what was going to happen. It was not easy. So if anybody's still doing music after last year, that's pretty cool. Well, it seemed like it kind of went into two extreme camps where people either, like you said, shut down for a while or people were just producing a ton of music. You know, one of my favorite acts, Cloud Nothings, did like a subscription service where they were putting out an EP every month. Holy shit. (laughs) That's awesome. I guess, do you ever fear that bands are overexposing themselves with how easily accessible they are now with social media and everything? Like, hey, maybe don't release every song as soon as you record it. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I think it depends on the band, 100%. Some bands that totally, Cloud Nothing's a great example, but like some bands that kind of just works with their whole aesthetic and like their vibe. Other artists, it just wouldn't make sense for. But I think as long as what you're putting out there is authentic, as long as it's coming from a real place and you're not just doing shit because you saw somebody else do it or you're starting a TikTok because everybody says you should have a TikTok. Like as long as the content is like original and genuine and it's coming from a real place, then I don't think there's anything wrong with just going, you know, and just putting your stuff out there because why not? I always tell people like, look at how you use social media as like just a regular person. And when you're scrolling, how many times you actually stop, you know, like you're just going. So it's like, (laughs) If you think about that, then in order for you to see my band name or my artist name that you've never heard of before, by the way, brand new, in order for you to see that and have it have an impact enough for you to slow down, right? And all I'm asking is for you to slow down and click something. And so it's like, in order for me to get you there, I've got to make sure that as you're scrolling, you see it four or five times. That's how you can kind of get through to people is when you start seeing things over and over. So the frequency of your content and whether you're releasing EPs every month or you're doing like music videos or you're doing like Rap Boys did their big 24 hour telethon for Halloween last year, whatever it is you're going to do, as long as it's coming from that real place, then I think it's okay. It's when you have people just trying to kind of put shit out just to put it out. You know, that's when it's like, we can see that as people. Like we can tell when you're just kind of pushing it for your manager's sake or whoever told you that this was a good idea you know um yeah and i think that that's the difference for sure oh yeah i mean eric from heart attack man he is like constantly doing stuff but it's always like you said so genuine i don't feel like anyone can really (laughs) be upset with him or tell him to tone it down that's just who he is no he just needs to exist exactly just let him do his thing what would you consider your greatest achievement with Know Your Buds to date? Oh my God, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that Bartiz album and getting through that last year, honestly. Um, yeah. I'm super proud of that. And just like existing in general, like the fact that it's still <laughs> a thing and that people pay attention to it. And I'm still hearing from people all the time that are just finding me for the first time. That's huge. And like anytime somebody tweets something like, oh my God, I heard about this record through No Earbuds or thanks No Earbuds for showing me this record or whatever it is. It's like, oh my God, that's like... That is the piece. What do they say? The piece did resist fun. So that is like the <laughs> best fucking thing for me is like for you to tell me 
that there's something you didn't know before that you heard of through me and now you love it and you're going to the show or something, you know, like just like that, that is my proudest thing ever. Otherwise, I mean, oh, earlier this year, we did a charity compilation and in February and I had a bunch of bands on the roster cover each other and we just put it out through Bandcamp and I raised like 3000 bucks and we donated it to Last Prisoner Project. So that was pretty cool. I've never tried anything like that before. I would like to do it again sometime, maybe, <laughs> uh, yeah. but it, it was a fun experiment. So that was pretty cool. But yeah, I think just getting to this point, being an actual company that has, I'm hiring somebody like that's crazy. You know, like the <laughs> fact that I can have an employee and I can like, people still want to hire me and want to bring me onto their team. That's, that's the best thing. Do you have anyone from that early two thousands era that would be like a dream get? Well, so I did for a long time. I was really into the format. Um, And when they were going to do those reunion shows, I actually landed the PR gig for it. And so we, I helped like announce it and I was supposed to work on the press around the shows and do all this stuff. And then the shows got postponed and now I don't know that they're ever happening. (laughs) I'm not sure, but that was like so sick. But I think if any of the other ones, ones like that I love hit me up I don't know that I would work on their stuff yeah <laughs> it's crazy but like I don't know that that's my place I think my place is with newer artists new names or like artists that I can kind of help develop from that first point like a Bartiz or somebody like somebody that's just like getting started and I can help them in those you know form their career basically that's the stuff I love to work on I think when a band is already kind of at a certain point I feel like I'm happy just being a fan you know, um, yeah. but I, I don't know. I feel like like if Taking Back Sunday wanted me, I, w- I would do it. Like, <laughs> I think I don't know if I would work on a Fall Out Boy record. Like, that's the thing. The ones that keep putting out music, those are tough for me. <laughs> <laughs> One band that I love and I actually do work for is The Wonder Years. But I, yeah. I've been a fan of theirs since college. And I feel like as time has gone on, I've just rolled with them and grown with them. And they were actually the first band that hired me when I got laid off. Oh, so that's awesome. that was pretty sick. What would you say would be your most difficult situation you've had to navigate with no earbuds? I mean, I feel like the pandemic is too easy of an answer, yeah. <laughs> but that was pretty scary for a minute. But I think if anything, it's always a challenge to make sure that I'm getting the attention of people, you know, and just like fighting for that attention and staying relevant and staying connected to DIY and what people are listening to on like that super lower underground level and really like keeping my ears out, but also running a business and also having a kid and also all that stuff. It's kind of just like everything always is my answer. (laughs) That's the most (laughs) challenging part. You didn't have to have any hard conversations with like AJJ. Like, I know you guys want to change your name, but everybody knows you as this. Or like, <laughs> Jeff, you can't I, give all your music out for free. <laughs> okay. To answer specifically, I did have a conversation with AJJ when they changed their name. Oh, okay. Um, and that was years ago. And I did not advise against it. I think, you know, I advised about the potential issues, you know, but yeah. the way I see about name changes and stuff, it's like, if you want to do it, like, who am I to tell you not to? You know what I mean? Like, it's your project. Another publicist summer would be more like strategic about that kind of stuff. But to me, I'm just like a person who cares. And if the name makes you uncomfortable and you don't want to use it anymore, change it. I don't give a fuck. It's your thing. You know, like we'll make it work. There will be challenges of making sure everybody knows you have a new name and and all that bullshit you have to go through, which we did (laughs) like for like a year after we were constantly like having to update information and do all this bullshit. But the end of the day it was the right choice for them and that i have no issues with that and jeff can always and forever give his music out for free with no <laughs> complaints from me i will never complain <laughs> <laughs> oh i was gonna ask you about foxing apparently yeah. they had a little bit of a beef about a pitchfork review <laughs> i did i wasn't aware of it 
I, yeah. I think it was something that got squashed like in the time I was at work. And then I got on Twitter and everybody was sifting through the aftermath. Was that, that was anything? awful. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't need to call anybody out or anything, but that was rough. Uh, but I had nothing to do with that shit. They just got an average ish review written by somebody who doesn't really know the band as well as everybody would have hoped. Right. And the band was fine with it. We were cool. But then the internet, well, I'm sorry, the internet just kind of like did its thing, you know. Um, she's a little bit of a barker. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Okay. I'm dog sitting right now. So I was kind of expecting oh, nice. that to happen to me at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was like, none of us cared, but the internet did. And like, it just started. And it was just like, oh, it was awful. I just stayed offline all day. <laughs> yeah. Everybody was like, oh, Foxing's Puffles is good. It was just awful. I was like, no, this is so stupid. We don't even care. Right. <laughs> like, but that was just people reacting to it. And listen, like, that's an incredible record that they made. And, you know, I don't necessarily know the inner workings of these outlets of why they assign certain reviews to certain people. Like, I don't have any say in that stuff, like, ever. You hope for the best, but at the end of the day, it's not within yours or the artist's control and it's just how somebody else perceives your work and I think that's it's fair to have criticism out there that doesn't exactly feel like it's just like paid fucking promo you know like you want to have some differing opinions I think to show people there's range here like and that that review wasn't even really somebody being a hater it was just somebody who was coming from the outside looking in and be like this record's fine that's all it was yeah. <laughs> people are so passionate for that band and it happens all the time like fans online are just so passionate about the things they love that they'll go to war for something like that even though the artist is like no, it's fine. <laughs> like, yeah. it's just the way it is. It's just, it was very dumb though. I'm glad you didn't have to see too much of it. <laughs> <laughs> so is that the PR strategy since there is such a constant news cycle, just sit it out, let it blow over and they'll find something to be bad about later. It just totally depends on what's going on. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it totally, if it's something more serious that requires your attention, that's different. But right. in that moment, it, for me, I was just like, okay, <laughs> like, <laughs> this is so dumb, but I'm, I think I tweeted a gif of maybe it was, was it Michael Scott, like walking into our room and then immediately walking out. Oh no, it was Daryl from the office. He's like opening the door, looks in and then leaves. And I was, I tweeted that. Cause I was like, this is how I feel about this. It's like, yeah. y'all are acting stupid attacking pitchfork of all places like they're not gonna listen <laughs> like, right. so dumb, but yeah if it's something more serious that's like if the internet's going crazy over something or like an allegation or something like I take that stuff way more seriously but that was just so dumb yeah. <laughs> it was so dumb so do you have any kind of signed agreements with your artists to where if something does come up nefarious you can terminate at any point um yeah no I don't really do contracts I just if you do something shitty and I don't want to fuck with you anymore I'm out yeah. <laughs> Look, that's straight up. We're real people over here. You know, like this is real people stuff. And so if an artist of mine, I find out something about them or something goes public, I try to first understand and try to get like all the information and figure out like what's going on. And then from there, I can make my own call. Is this a situation that warrants some kind of statement or like, can I help you navigate this in some way? Most of the time that's what happens. But if it's something where like the person's accused of something terrible and I am like just vehemently not okay with, then it's like, yeah, no, I can't help you. I'm not a brand publicist. You know, I am here to work on your music. And if I find out that you're doing some shady stuff, I don't want anything to do with you or your music. You do you, but I'm out. And I think for me, that's the best way. It's just like treating it like a human being and just hearing all the information I can first and then making a decision from there. If it's something I want to take a chance sticking around with and helping through, or is this something that is far beyond my help? And it's just the kind of thing where like, hey, 
you did some fucked up stuff you probably should talk about it but i'm not gonna get involved because yeah. most of the time that's just like it's not stuff that i feel comfortable advising anybody on you know especially if it's like a shitty allegation but luckily i have not had that happen too much so it's only happened a few times and it's been a bummer but uh, it is what it is so have you had any conversations with the developments on the dog leg story no and i definitely don't want to talk about it okay. that's <laughs> <Yeah>. fine <laughs> Definitely not. Um, it's not great for anyone involved. I think that that's something that if anybody is checking this out that goes online when that kind of stuff happens, just know that like there's a lot of people who get middle of the night phone calls or some bullshit. Like I was taking my son to gymnastics class when that broke. Yeah. And that was just like, fuck, <laughs> you know, right. like I'm trying to do a, a nice thing here and like just help bands that need help and help kind of get your music in front of people. So when stuff like that happens, it definitely just sucks. There's yeah. no way around it. So you seem to be very focused on DIY culture. How do you feel about mainstream acts like Ed Sheeran proposing a metal album or Machine Gun Kelly oh kind of appropriating DIY culture into the mainstream or yeah. Adele backing up vinyl plants with half a million oh, copies? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's just annoying. I mean, that's capitalism, right? That's a whole other avenue you can go down. It's not a devil's fucking fall. Um, but you know, the other examples you gave, I didn't even know Ed Sheeran wants to do a metal album. That's hilarious. I'd listen to that shit. Like, (laughs) I don't know. I don't feel like, I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, nobody owns any of this stuff. This is not ours, you know, like, yeah, this is our scene and this is where we found community and where we found our kind of people. So fucking what if some dumbass wants to go do this and like put it on his record and have it be his brand for like an album cycle. I feel sort of like, At the end of the day, everybody being into Machine Gun Kelly doing the pop punk thing or like Travis Barker being on every fucking song, that is a positive for people who are still doing pop punk and emo music, honestly, because now there's an avenue for you to get in front of people that would have never listened to your music or even heard about you. Now they're, those artists are bringing that kind of thing back into popularity and into culture. So it's like, now you have an opening. Do I think that dude's lame as fuck? Yeah, hell yeah, I do. But whatever, let him be lame as fuck. Like Ever Levine coming back means there's an avenue for a lot of cool younger bands with women in them. All these things matter. Willow Smith like popping off means meet me at the altar gets to fucking have a spot, you know? And it's just like, I lo- try to look at it like glass half full and like, you don't have to be a fan of those people. I don't have to like Ed Sheeran doing it. That sounds just like fucking hilarious to me, by the way. <laughs> I Can he really that. say that? That's hilarious. <laughs> um, that was the reported quote. Yeah, he wants to make a metal album. I, listen, I'm way more I interested say, than that than anything I say else. let him do it, dude. I say <laughs> let him try. Like, yeah. let's hear what he does. I don't know. Like, that's that kind of thing. Like, who are we to, to be like, that's ours? It's like, no, it's not. Let this guy go make a metal album. If it's terrible, it's hilarious. And if it's great, <laughs> holy shit, it's a great record. <laughs> like, I don't know it's just kind of funny to me but I just see it as like if the mainstream can get into it then it leaves an opening for everybody on the more underground or like DIY level to kind of find their place too I always tell people the offspring were my gateway drug into punk music there you go yeah exactly and you probably saw it on like MTV or some shit and like loved the singles and then got into the band and it's like yeah that's how it happened so the fact that all that stuff is kind of like trendy right now, I'm looking at that as like a positive, like the alt TikTok hashtag is one of the biggest ones on the platform, you know? And it's like, that's because this thing is popular again. And that's kind of cool, you know, like that's good for us, you know, and you can kind of use that to your advantage if you're smart. So you mentioned The Office earlier. I know you're a huge fan. Yes. <laughs> we get your top five power rankings, Office characters. Oh, okay. Um, That's tough. I think... I'm going to have to say Michael's my favorite. Dwight, 
Daryl, Creed, maybe Aaron is Aaron. a five. Okay, five. yeah, there's yeah. your five. But yeah, I... Wow, so no Jim, Pam. I have to go Michael because it's just, there's no topping him. And like, you can have favorite moments from other characters, but that's just like, he's the goat and he's like the show for me. And even when he leaves, I have things that I like about the latter seasons, but I feel like, yeah, when I rewatch it, it's just like, I always just, he's just so good. It's just, he's so yeah. good as that character. It's just crazy. That's the top But you got Creed a shout in there. He's always one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah Creed's crazy. You can't downplay that character because it makes no sense. And he's hilarious. and. I've had tickets to go see him when he performs his music live and I miss it every single time. Wait, he and does so music? Like, yeah, you should check it out. I and he like that. he he did like when he plays on the show, like he's playing that's him, you know, oh, like wow. and he has like a folk band that he's always been with. His real name is Creed Bratton, like that's who he is. <laughs> There's like wow. that he's just such an interesting character, uh, both as an actor and on the show, but He's got to be in there for sure. <laughs> yeah. I think they said Kevin was like the number one paid star on a cameo. Cameo. Yeah. Really? He oh, wow. More than anyone else on cameo last year. And he goes to all these like, celebrity golf outings and he's friends. I with see Aaron that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I see that on my, like, uh, I follow him on Instagram. I see that all the time, but I actually got for my birthday this year, Bartiz and the person that I manage Bartiz with together, they got me a surprise gift for my birthday and they had Andy Buckley, who plays David Wallace. Oh, yeah. Uh, he sent me a cameo and it was just unreal. It was basically, he treated it like he had a band and he was trying to get me to work the press and he wanted to hire no earbuds. And it was like the <laughs> cutest fucking thing ever. Um, yeah, it was incredible. And like, I will never forget that. I, 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 yeah, I get all flabbergasted when I think about it because I'm just like, David Wallace. Oh my God. It's like a 14 minute cameo. It's crazy. <laughs> it's wow, so I didn't cool. know they went that long. <laughs> they don't. They don't. <laughs> they do not. I promise you they don't. He just like was on one and he, and he sent a follow-up video afterwards. <laughs> wow. It was like too effing funny. I was like, I don't know how we got this lucky or if he does this for everybody, but he goes above and beyond. No question. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but I, I would love a Kevin one. I've never, I didn't know that about him being the most paid person on there. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's he's like three hundred dollars, not cheap. No, and it's weird just to think of all the personalities on that show. He's like the guy rubbing elbows with NFL quarterbacks and <laughs> making cameo videos. Yeah, but you know what? It's because he's out there. It's because he yeah. puts himself out there. I feel like there's other people who are more like that. They all have kind of have their things, but I feel like Kevin definitely or Brian, uh, he definitely just like utilized his character. He knew he was like, I'm not gonna have another role that like gets me to that level. So I might as well just like milk the shit out of it and just do a bunch of stuff for, you know, he's writing a book now and he has podcasts, like he's done a bunch of office stuff. So, so we are easing into the holiday season and going to be doing a Festivus themed episode coming up here shortly. So we're collecting our Festivus airing of grievances. Okay. I wanted to ask if you had any grievances you'd like to air entertainment industry or otherwise floor is yours. Oh God. Um, (laughs) I want to put the whole like live music industry on notice right now, because I think everybody rushed back to having shows again very quickly. And um, 
that is stressful as a person who likes to go to shows, but also as a person who's working and managing artists whose safety depends on like how these shows go and like what policies are being put into place and how it all works. And I think it all just came rushing back and people are just eager to be on the road and don't care about the protocols and don't care about the rules, whether that's venues, artists, whatever. I just think everybody on that side of things needs to like take a second and like breathe and like really make sure that you're able to do this safely and understand that going back on the road this early means you have to make some sacrifices, right? Like you can't be fucking around anymore. You have to be like super safe and super careful because you're traveling. You're you're bringing whatever you pick up one night, you're bringing it to the next one. It's not so much a grievance as it is just like, y'all get your shit together and let's be careful. And maybe like venues need to chill for a second and come up with their own policies and protocols to keep people safe before they just start selling the full venue, you know, and selling out every ticket or something. But that being said, I've only been to one show. So (laughs) I'm still too scared. I have a young kid who can't get vaccinated yet. And it's just like, it's still way too frightening for me. But I've also had a lot of bands get sick and I've had bands who are on the road get COVID and thank God they're all vaccinated or they're boosted and they're not getting super sick. But it's still just like what happens when it hits somebody who like a fan who's there that night or you know like it's just there's so many things that I just think we went into it really fast without having much of a game plan and it was much more about let's just get our money which is a fair thing to want (laughs) I just you know I feel like I'm starting to see artists that don't need live music you know that I'm starting to work artists that don't need it as much as they used to and are finding ways to make money without it. And so it's like, I think the whole the whole live scene needs to kind of be ready for artists to start steering away from it because it's not going to be super safe. If you can find other ways to be profitable online, why would you risk your safety? That being said, I have like three shows coming up in the next two weeks. So I'm still going, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I've been very selective. So, um, and I'm going to be very nervous the whole time, but it'll be fine. Do you think bands are feeling a pressure to not miss out on the opportunity now that shows are coming? Yeah, out? definitely. Yeah, I think it's like every Everybody was waiting to see the first couple of tours. And then once a few of them went out, then it was like, okay, fuck it. Let's go. Everybody on the road, my own artists included. And I encourage it, you know, but the, the safety stuff has to come first and you've got to be super careful about it. The Wonder Years are a great example of a band that they're going to have some tour announcements soon. And like, they're delaying the announcements just to make sure that they get all the venues and on the same page and making sure that the rules are in place for every single show and not just gunning it out there just because they can. I think it's just like one of those things where like, once people saw someone could do it, everybody wanted to do it. And I think the DIY scene specifically needs to be extra careful because that's where policies don't exist when shows are happening in bars and, you know, houses and shit. That's where you have to be really, really careful because who's following rules, you know, like when you're just hanging at your friend's house. So So do you think there will be some long-term effects with people being reluctant ever to go out and do these massive tours again? Well, see, I think tours will continue. But I, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens like in the early part of next year and like when all the spring tours kind of start up because right now we have this fall was like the big window of touring and all these tours sold out and all these shows sold out. But as the shows come closer, you realize are the days of the show, there's like a huge drop off of people who bought a ticket but didn't show up because of whatever reason, right? Right now it's the, the Omicron or whatever the new variant is. So now it's, it'll be interesting to see how things go in the future, but it feels like this is what we're facing, you know, is every six, seven months or so, a new variant's going to pop up that we have to be cautious of. And people are probably going to get scared and not want to go out. That I think is going to be a big challenge is just like figuring out how to make tours profitable when you can't really predict if people are going to actually show up when they buy a ticket or not. But that's the only stuff we can figure out as it happens. Again, it's just like, 
this is not, there's no rule book for what we're dealing with. Everyone's just got to kind of figure it out one step at a time and just try to keep everyone's safety at the core of whatever it is we're going to do. All right. Well, I think that about does it. Is there anything else you want to share with us? You mentioned your charity compilation earlier. It looked like you had a new single out with Downhaul covering Oso. Is that part Mm -hmm. of a new series you're doing? That was sort of like, I really wanted to do a second comp this year, but it just didn't work out. So they Mm -hmm. had they had been really quick to get me a track for a second comp and it was really good. And I was like, want to just put it out as a single. And they were like, yes. So um, I have one more of those hitting sometime in the next couple of weeks. And then, yeah, then that's it. But one thing next year, I'm definitely like kind of starting now, but I'm going to have a lot more playlists going out right now. I just usually make one, but over the next few months, I'm going to start switching that up so that I have about five (laughs) Um, and they're all going to kind of have different feels and different uh, tones to them so that they're a little bit more purposeful. Uh, So I'm excited about that. And I've been working really hard on that with my husband, who's a music curator for playlists. So he's been really helpful, but yeah, that's about it. And yeah, three years is coming up. So I'm just going to be still doing my thing. And next year, uh, a lot of new records from a lot of the people we've talked about. So just very excited for all that. Maybe a Prince Daddy album before the end of the new year? Nothing before the end of the year. No, but stay tuned because that's I will say that that is a a very exciting one. Awesome. (laughs) Um, Great. I'm excited for that. Yeah. I don't know when I can't remember off the top of my head, but it'll be at some point and it will, it will rock. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Just being able to adapt and persevere through all this. Congratulations on three years with no earbuds. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. Thank you. This was fun. (laughs) Thank you so much. No problem.